God is great and greatly to be praised from the rising of the sun till the going down of the same. We gather in this sacred space, the St. Paul Baptist Church, to remember and to reflect upon the light, the life, the lug, and the, the legacy of Brother Alan Stanley Thomas Sr. The songwriter says so poignantly that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. But yet we are reminded of the fact that as we reflect upon such a great life, that there may be tears and God gives you the capacity to grieve. That there may be sorrow and God gives you the capacity to feel. That there may be heartache and God gives you the capacity to acknowledge. And yet we put it in his hands. So as we come and we gather, not in just what we would normally call a funeral service or even a homegoing celebration, but we come to worship the God, the God of Brother Alan Thomas. If Brother Thomas has had a positive and wonderful impact upon your life, uh, would you help me to celebrate God and give God praise by just putting your hands together? Great servant of God, a great man of God. And we thank God for his life. I'm going to ask if we could let us bow our heads for a word of prayer uh, as we invoke the manifested presence of God in this moment. God, we come and we thank you at this time for the life and the love of Brother Alan Thomas. Lord, right now, in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, we know you're already here because you're omnipresent. But God, in this particular moment, we pray that you would manifest your presence, your Shekinah glory, the Kabod. Fill this place in such a powerful way, oh God, that after all has been said and done, we know that we have been in your presence. And even though for many of us that are here, it is heavy, but yet we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. And so because of that, empower us right now to worship you because you're the one who is the resurrection and the life. It is in the name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Amen. At this particular time, we will have the hymn of comfort with a friend. And then after that, we will have scripture readings by Reverend Brenda Richardson uh, from Psalm 23 and John 14, 1 through 5. And then the prayer of comfort will be given by Dr. Monica Redman. And then we will have another musical selection of Amazing Grace. And then after that, I will come and give further instructions. Thank you. 
restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The New Testament reading comes from John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God's word for God's people. 
may we be blessed by them. Would you pray with me for just a few moments? Our Father and our God, Lord, we come before you now in the most humble manner that we know how. And Father, as we approach your throne of grace, as we approach your throne of mercy, we say thank you. Thank you, Father, for another day a day we've never seen before. God, we say thank you. Because when we lay down last night and our early rising this morning, God, we got up with thanksgiving upon our lips and praise, oh God, for another day. Thank you, Father, because we know that it's because of you that we made it through another day, another evening. God, thank you. Thank you for just being the kind of God that you are. Thank you, Father, for the doors that you open for our lives. And Father, thank you for clothes on our backs. And Father, thank you for food on our tables. And God, thank you for homes that we go to each and every day and cars that we drive. God, we are grateful today. We are grateful, oh God, because you are a good God. You are better to us than we're even to ourselves. But God, here we are. We find ourselves at the homegoing celebration of one of our dear friends and brothers. God, we say thank you for Brother Alan Thomas. God, we lift him up and we lift up his wife. God, we lift up his family today. We lift up the memory of Brother Alan Thomas. And God, we say thank you for him. Thank you, oh God, for his kind heart. Thank you, oh God, because he was a brilliant, brilliant man. God, we say thank you. God, thank you for how he has served the St. Paul Baptist Church. Thank you, oh God, because he was not just a seat warmer. God, he was involved within the life of our church. God, thank you for his service. Thank you, oh God, how he served Oh God, not many people serve the way that Brother Thomas served. But God, we say thank you. He didn't just sit back and watch others serve. But God, we say thank you because he got involved. He was involved within the life of our church. And God, our hearts are saddened because of the loss of him. But Father, as we are sad, we are glad. We're glad because we know, oh God, that he has found a seat in your kingdom. Oh God, we say thank you for that. Thank you, oh God, that you have rooms for all of us. Thank you, oh God, in the name of Jesus, for the rooms that you have prepared for all of us. And so God, as we are here and we lift up his beautiful wife, Sister Eileen, God, I pray that you will wrap your loving arms around her. Oh God, what a beautiful marriage that they had. It was such a light to all of us. And God, we say thank you. We thank you, oh God, for her life. 
And we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will hold her up, prop her up on every leaning side. God, we know that tears are going to flow and they're not just going to flow today, but they're going to flow in days and in the weeks and months to come. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will let her know that she's not by herself. Let her know, oh God, that you're standing right by her side. Wrap your arms around her. Squeeze her, Father, just to encourage her today. Oh God, let her know. Let her family know that you are the Lord, our God, who comforts and brings peace. God, I thank you. Oh God, we know that we can't make it without you. We can't make it without your joy. And so God, I pray in the name of Jesus that in the days and in the weeks to come that you would give joy, give peace, give, oh God, in the name of Jesus, magnify your presence in such a way in her home. Oh God, even as she's in a car, God, wherever she is, allow her to feel you. God, I thank you. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Because we have family, we have friends. And God, in the days and in the weeks to come, help us. Help St. Paul Church. Help us to be the church that you called us to be. Help us, oh God, to love. Help us to support. Help us, oh God, to be the leaning post for this family in the name of Jesus. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you, oh God, because Dr. Gregory Keith Moss is here today. And God, I pray for him as he stands and gives the eulogy today. God, give him power. Give him anointing. God, touch him from the crown of his head to the soul of his feet. Oh God, allow him to preach your word. Allow him to preach with your authority, your anointing, God, in the name of Jesus. And God, we know that when we leave here today, we all are going to leave here leaping and jumping, knowing that we have been in your presence. God, we say thank you. God, we say thank you. God, because we feel you in the building right now. God, we say thank you. God, be in the singing of the songs. Be with us, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, everything that is said and done today, God, you get the glory. God, you get the glory. God, we don't want it. God, you get the glory out of everything that is said and done today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on and give God some praise in here. Come on, if you believe that God is here, you ought to give him praise. Come on, you can do better than that. Give God some praise in here.
amazing grace thank you Sheila for blessing us with your gift of song and I just want to before we move on with the program take the pastoral prerogative I want to ask those that served with brother Allen uh, on the deacons ministry if you're here would you stand please thank you so much let's give God praise for them you may be seated for those that served on the board of directors here at the St. Paul Church with Brother Allen, would you please stand? Amen. Again, thank you so very, very much. And then also for those that served on our Community Development Corporation, the Zachariah Alexander Community Development Corporation with him, would you please stand if you're present? Amen. Thank you all so very much for your presence as far as this uh, moment is concerned. I want to again uh, extend my thanks to the usher ministry here at St. Paul Church, to the deacons ministry which served as sentinels during the family hour, our audio video ministry team, uh, our awesome music ministry under the direction of Brother David Scott Gibson and Elson on the organ and to our ministers, staff ministers that are giving lift and assistance during this particular time. Thank you all so very, very much for your time, your energy, and your effort to serve this family. As we prepare to give tributes, we're going to ask that you will come in this order. And we're going to ask if you will come to the uh, stand to my right, perhaps your left as you're coming down the aisle. Um, and you will have your own individual mic. Again, we want to try to keep you as safe as possible. In this order, uh, on behalf, as far as a friend, Reverend Charles Winton, mentee, Mr. Ralph Weaver, and family, Mr. Allen S. Thomas Jr. If you will come in that order, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Adrian, Melanie and I love you, and we will be with you. You know that. No man other than my father taught me what it was to be a good man more than Alan Thomas. I never heard Alan say a cross word about anyone. I never heard him gossip 
in any way. Any bad thought, any negative thought, he kept it to himself. And if you were going to be his friend, you knew that and you did the same. So he made you better. But also, he was a great supporter of mine. Alan drove 700 miles to Florida. He and mom, when we opened our business there, I came back to the Carolinas and had businesses here. When I opened them, Alan was there. Alan had a brilliant mind. He was a thinker. He would call me and say, Charles, I think I got it figured out. He was sharp as a tack. I don't care who you were, who you are. You were never going to out-trade Alan Thomas in any way. When I last saw him, I said, Alan, when you get to heaven, you put in a good word for all of us. And on days like this, sometimes when we say, that we know somebody went to heaven, we aren't always telling the truth. But no one has to say any lies about my friend. He's in heaven. And I hear God saying to him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God bless you. First, giving honor to God, I extend my heartfelt condolences to Mrs. Thomas, Alan, Adrian, family, and friends. I stand before you today with a heavy heart, but I also stand here feeling a sense of joy and gratefulness that I knew Mr. Thomas. And you may think it a little odd that I say Mr. Thomas, but when you admire, respect, and honor someone such as I do for Mr. Thomas, I started calling him that 47 years ago. And my last visit with him a couple of weeks ago, he will always be Mr. Thomas to me. I say that out of the deepest love and respect. And you learn something about a man when you see the outpouring of love for him, but also photographs tell a story. And the photographs that we've seen today, those are just a sampling of his life. And Adrian had asked me when I was here a couple months ago to go through a treasure trove of photographs. And they really told that story of his life. What I saw was just images of many of you gathered here today. When I look out and I see Diana, there was a photograph of her as a young girl, her mother Adrian, in her young adult years. There were great photographs of William as a toddler, and then wonderful photographs of Adrian and Alan 
throughout the years. And then there were wonderful photographs of our beloved Pops and Aunt Seal. But what stands out to me were those photographs of Mr. Thomas with his beloved Mrs. Thomas. And you saw them throughout the years. That love, that bond that they had for one another was unbreakable. And when I think of when I met them in 1975, I'd heard so much about them because Adrian and I went to college together. And Adrian talked so lovingly about her parents. But I remember one situation in particular when someone asked her, what did her father do? And she said, he's an entrepreneur. And she said it so proudly. And I'm from Baltimore, a family of laborers. And I, I scratched my head like, oh, okay, entrepreneur. But in 1975, that was a term I really hadn't embraced or truly understood. And then I was able to witness firsthand at the feet of Mr. Thomas what an entrepreneur truly is. The Thomas family welcomed me into their home in 1975, 76, and then in 1977, when I graduated from college, they said, you could stay with us. And I was like, okay. But this outpouring of love, they didn't know me. I wasn't family. But what I learned from them is that family is more than just a biological connection. It is the love that you have for someone, the sincerity in your heart, and the goodness. And that is something that I will always treasure, that goodness. Because what I observed during those three months of staying with them was true love, but also the willingness that Mr. Thomas had to take me under his wing. And that's what he did. And I remember one situation in particular when I was sitting around the kitchen table in Canarsie and Mr. Thomas said in his just energy-filled way, come on, go with me. You're going to spend the day with me. And little did I know what that meant. And anyone that has been around him, you know that he had boundless energy. So when we left that house at 9 o'clock, I think we got back at 11, but we started out in Brooklyn. Those of you that... Um, Maybe feel familiar with New York, but we started out uh, in the Flatbush area where we went to different the businesses that he owned at the time. I saw him interact with many people. We then went to Manhattan to check on receipts from the club Pegasus that he owned at the time. I saw him interact with accountants. We then went to a rehearsal for brass construction. I was exhausted, and I was 22 years old. I couldn't keep up with Mr. Thomas, and that is what he did throughout my life. And I sat at his feet and learned. I absorbed all of that. And one of the things that I said, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Because what he also did was to show the love for not only helping me, but to help helping others. And when I looked around, so many people that he took under his embrace, from Ronald to Mark, to Ronaldo, a.k.a. Snooky, He took us all under his loving embrace to help young men along the way. And every meeting that I had with him, he talked and wanted to find out about what I was doing. 
Tell me about your business. And I wouldn't be here today running my own business if it had not been for Mr. Thomas. And every time that I met with him, he would always ask me, how are you doing? Tell me about the business. But what else he did was he exposed me to life. When I think about so many firsts, from my first experience at a five-star restaurant, my first experience um, just understanding, looking at a balance sheet, all of those things he did for me. He didn't have to do it. But what I also learned that was, I think, more important than anything, he loved family. So in that 12-hour day, we ended up stopping at his mom's house in Brooklyn to check on her. But throughout his life, he was always checking on people. And that just really, to me, just said a lot. And he also never bragged about all of his accomplishments. One would have never known all that Mr. Thomas had done. And one of the things that I also truly remember was his unconditional love for Alan and Adrian. He was so proud of you. Your dad was beaming all the time because and the people that you are. And it wasn't so much about the things that you accomplished in life, but it was the people that you are. Because you were carrying on his legacy of that goodness, that grace, that faithfulness. And then my beloved Mrs. Thomas, you are one of the most strongest, caring, and good persons that I will ever meet in this life. And I can't begin to imagine what life is like for you today as we sit here, your partner of 66 years. But I just want you to know that, and I speak for everyone here, and as the pastor said earlier, you have a village around you that loves and cares for you. And I will always be here. Distance means nothing when it comes to you. I will walk miles for you and forever grateful for what Mr. Thomas has done for me. And when I think of what he's doing today, I said, I know he's in heaven, just analyzing the projects, what needs to be done, and just thinking, okay, we got to get this done. Who is on my committee? I need to do this. I need to do that. And I can also hear my beloved Aunt Seal saying, and Gramps to many of you saying, Alan, we don't have to get it all done today. We have time. We have time. So God, thank you again for touching my life with this remarkable man who will live on in my heart, my spirit, and my soul forever. Bless you. On behalf of my mother, my sister, the rest of our immediate family, I'd like to first of all thank both Charles and Ralph uh, for their wonderful tributes to my father. Uh, from here on out, I'm going to call him something that I've 
called in the last 10 or 15 years, and I don't quite know how it started or why I started it, but I, I called him Poppy. So um, I'd like to thank you for your tributes to Poppy, and I'd like to thank all of you on behalf of my sister and my, my mom uh, for being a part of his life. Um, whatever role, for however long you played, I really want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. I have a favorite quote. Um, it's from a book called Life's Little Instruction Book. It was written by a father to a son when the, the son was going off to college. And the father knew he kind of wouldn't be there all the time, and he needed to give him some help. And that quote is, when spiders unite, they can tie up a lion. My father looked at all of you and saw spiders. And he kind of thought, if I can help that spider along the way, if I can help that one over there along the way, there are lions out there that we can tackle. And so he actually took it upon himself to help people in many, many different ways. And I listened to what Ralph said, I listened to what Charles said, and I said to myself, self, they don't know him like we know him because there are things that in any family you only show your most immediate family. And so... My father held himself to a pretty high standard of success and achievement. And he held the other three A's, we were the four A's, and I guess now we're the three A's, to a high level of success and achievement as well. I came home from school one day, I was in high school, and I went to Brooklyn Technical High School. It was one of four schools in New York City that you had to take a test to get into one of the four public schools. And so it was extremely competitive. And one year I came home and every semester they sort of published the top 10% of the class in their average. And one year I came home and I had the highest average in my uh, grade, it was in uh, 12th grade. And it was 97.1. And the father I know, a little bit different from the father you know. Poppy said to me, that's nice, but where are the other three points? <laughs> and so I said, okay, Dad, I got it. Um, when, when, when I was about seven years old, we moved from the Bushwick area of Brooklyn to the Canarsie area of Brooklyn. At the time, I know it was for two reasons. One, my father wanted a new house, and they certainly weren't building new houses in Bushwick. And two, he wanted my sister and me to have access to the best public education that he could allow us to have access to. And he knew that that wasn't really there in Bushwick. He didn't know exactly where it might be in Brooklyn, but he knew that Canarsie was a better place. But I actually think he moved us for a third reason. And it was one of his three passions in life outside of the church, outside of his family, outside of work, 
He had three big passions in life. When we were young, all of those pictures that you saw, my father was always taking pictures. My father had us put makeup on and he'd take pictures of us. And then he'd embarrass us and show other people those pictures. My father took pictures that were stills and turned them into movies. Uh, he did a lot of things with photography. It took a lot of time, and at some point he stopped doing a lot of that. And he took up his other two passions. I shouldn't say he took them up. He always had them. One was gardening, and my father gardened until the end. And the other one was fishing. And that brings me back to where I started here. I think the real reason my father moved us to Canarsie was because about three or so miles from our house was Canarsie Pier. And Canarsie Pier is an area where fishing has occurred since the Canarsie tribe actually fished out of Jamaica Bay. And my father wanted to fish. And he would go as often as he could fishing wherever he could. And I got to tell you, I've never understood fishing. I was never good at fishing. But at that point in my life, my father didn't have a lot of time to spend one-on-one -on -one with me. And so whenever he said, let's go fishing, I went fishing with him. And I remember one morning, remember he was someone that had this really high standard of success. And often with people that have that high level of success, they're pretty competitive. And my father was unbelievably competitive. Uh, I remember not long ago, he said to me, I see you still have your hair. Because he wanted me to be bald like him. But anyway, um, one Friday night, he said to me, come on, son, we're going to go fishing tomorrow morning. I said, okay, Poppy. Now I was probably eight or nine years old, and I didn't really know what that meant. So when this tall figure walked into my bedroom at 4.30 in the morning, I kind of figured it was a dream, but my father said, get up, get dressed, we're going fishing. I said, okay. And off we went fishing to the pier. And for the first hour, I was asleep. It was dark. There were two or three other people out there. And my father said, come on, you got to catch some fish. And he's catching fish. And it was interesting. He was catching fish two and three at a time. Um, and I was catching nothing. And after I woke up, I caught some fish. We went on home. And he walks in the door and he says, look at all the fish we caught. You know, I beat your son. And, you know, he didn't catch as many as I did. But he caught some fish, too. And my mother said to him, uh, yeah, but did you see his shoes? And my father could be so myopically focused on the goal that he would forget the little things. So here's this kid that woke up at 4.30 in the morning, put his clothes on, and he had on his Sunday shoes <laughs> at the pier. And... She said, his shoes are ruined. And my father, who would normally have gotten a little bit upset with me if I had done something like that, he just started laughing. So I am sure that today, my father is somewhere in heaven gathering the team 
what did you say, analyzing the projects that have to be done, figuring out a little bit of time to catch a, a fish or two on the end of a line. And so I just want to say to all of you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a big part of that. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for these wonderful tributes to our departed brother and friend. I'm going to ask that Reverend Brendan Jenkins Bosman will come and give acknowledgments uh, at this particular time. I have seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But then a voice from heaven said to me, still, fight on, for I promise never to leave you, never to leave you alone. Friends, it is quite apparent that the grim reaper of death has once again invaded our ranks and removed from us our loved one. If Alan Thomas had but one message to leave, today it might be I was as you are and you will be as I am. Make the days of your life count. On behalf of his beautiful bride, of 66 years, we should applaud just on that point. <laughs> his daddy's girl, Adrian, and his son, in whom he's well pleased, Alan, Lonnie, William, and the entire family, they would thank you at this time for every act of kindness that you've shown to them. There's a parable in the Bible of the 10 lepers that Jesus healed and one came back to say thank you. I've had a front row intimate seat the last few months of watching folks from all around this country. Ralph and David and Diana and to come and say thank you, Alan. To pay homage while they could. That's rare because we will show up for the funeral but we don't show up for the thank you. And so we thank Alan for the projects he has yet to do, for the projects he entrusts us to. The main is to live our lives so that on these days, we don't have to fabricate, we don't have to make up anything. It speaks for itself, a life well lived. On behalf of the A.D. Givens, funeral services, we thank you for entrusting us with these services. Some things you don't want to do, but think some things you're called to do. And so we thank you. We thank Dr. Scott and the St. Paul Church for your kindness and for the discipleship that Alan, we thought he loved Mount Lebanon, but he showed enough love St. Paul and his discipleship showed that. My brother Greg Moss, beloved, thank you for being a son to them, as well as pastor. So at a later date, they will thank you each intimately and personally in their own way.
Please keep them in your prayers. Please keep them in your thoughts. Call, text, email, do what it is that we do to let them know that you still love them. With the love of God and the love of Christ. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reverend Brendalyn, and your assistance and uh, encouragement during this time has been a blessing to me and my staff. So thank you so very much to uh, Sister Aline, to Sister Adrian, to Brother Allen Jr., uh, Sister Carol, the rest of the family and friends who have come from near and far. Here at St. Paul Church, one of the things that we covenant to do with and for you all is to pray. Second thing that we covenant to do is whenever you cross our mind, do one of several things. Either pick up a phone, pick up a phone, pick up a phone. Um, for a certain generation, sending a text is okay, but for generations like his, a phone call has to suffice. And whenever you cross our mind, we will give you a call or send a card let you know you're not going through this ordeal by yourself and to also remind you that we're your church family and we're here for you and your family as well and so as we hear the song being played you're never alone not only because of the presence of the Holy Spirit but the presence of the Holy Spirit that bids us to be present with you so St. Paul, that's what we're going to do. At this time, we're going to have a musical selection. It is well. And after that, um, the pastor emeritus of this wonderful church, Dr. Gregory Moss, will come and give us a word from the Lord.
It says, now when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and gave up his ghost and was gathered to his people. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Reading is one thing. Hearing is another. But application is most important. Jacob's eyes had grown dim. And he could hear the footsteps of death infringing itself upon him. And he came to the realization that his days were almost to a close. I wish somebody would walk with me. And in so doing, mom, he decided in his mind that he wouldn't waste his time. And he thought about how he would use the time instructing and preparing his loved ones for his departure, but also for their future. Come on and walk with me. So Jacob called a family meeting and all 12 of his sons and other family members showed up. And in the midst of the meeting, Jacob began to tell them about what his grandfather Abraham had done. And he said that Abraham had purchased some land that included some caves from Ephraim the Hittite. And he told, Jacob told his family that Abraham, his grandfather Abraham and grandmother Sarah were buried there. He told them that his father Isaac and his mother Rebecca were also buried there. He went on to tell them that even his first wife, Leah, was buried there. And he made clear, Robert, his desire to be buried among his family members. I wish y'all would walk with me. And, 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 and in so doing, you know, we think about Jacob. Jacob. Jacob, even in his mother's womb, exhibited some qualities that would eventually label him, in my eyes, a special man. But we didn't come here just to talk about David, I mean Jacob. But I also want to say that there's some qualities that I learned about Alan Thomas in my mind that made him a special man. What kind of man was he? He's the kind of man who always strived to do the right thing, even if it was not the easiest thing. He was the kind of man who did not hesitate to help somebody without expecting anything in return. He was a kind of man who put in the extra effort to get the job done right the first time and then wanted to see it all the way to the end. I'm talking about Alan Thomas. Alan Thomas loved God. Alan Thomas loved his church. 
Yeah, he worked hard and he enjoyed his life. But man, did he love his family. I, I remember when I met him. I remember when I met Mom Aline. I was a candidate at the church in Brooklyn that we've heard about today, Mount Lebanon. And it made it to the final three. Alan was working with the ushers ministry, but he was also a member of the search committee. And then after I preached my little sermon, my little sermonette, they were kind enough to take me out. Eileen and Alan took me out to City Island, in, out from Brooklyn, out, in, out from New York, City Island, where they had all these different fish restaurants. And we sat down and had a wonderful meal. Well, needless to say, and y'all know, I didn't end up in Brooklyn. That was a long time ago. And so eventually the Lord saw fit to allow me to come and and dwell with this beautiful people called St. Paul. And when I mounted the rostrum that Sunday morning and I looked out over the audience, I didn't know many of the people in the church. I knew some. I knew Sheila and some others. But I looked out and lo and behold, there was Al Thomas and Eileen Thomas sitting up in St. Paul. And I had no idea that they had retired and moved to Fort Mill. And also, uh, Eileen's mother and, and, and father, um, stepfather were also there. And they were out there in the audience. And, and the rest is history. They decided to make St. Paul their home. But, but I want to say, it gave me the opportunity. I, I was calculating. It's been 24 years. Long time. I got a chance to really know this side of Alan. Couldn't know him like Al Jr. knew him, but to know this side of him. This this man was the smartest man I have ever met in my life. His business IQ was off the chain. And, and, and not only that, he was he was the epitome of what you would call committed. He was the epitome of being dedicated. He was the epitome of being determined. And mom, if I might also say, he was also seasoned with a little stubbornness. He was a strategic thinker and planner. And Robert, I want you to know this. As I stand here, he he is the one who was the dynamo. He was the point man. He was the one who pushed forward this whole thing that we call Central Square. Oh, y'all don't hear me. He was the executive director. We called him the interim executive director because we didn't have one. But he volunteered to be the interim director of the CDC that we had. And not only that, we would we, we didn't sit still because of Alan. He had us traveling up and down the eastern seaboard, going to all these conferences with books this tall, trying to learn everything we could about housing. Truth be told, he was the one that doggedly pursued those tax credits. He's the one who reached out for those who would eventually become our development partners. Y'all don't hear me. He is the one who saw this thing to its end and to its fruition. He was the dynamo. Alan was also a reader. Alan was a researcher. He was a perpetual student. He's a lifelong learner and forever feeding his mind, but he also fed his spirit. He studied the word of God. I came by here to tell you that his compassion was wrapped up in kindness. I came by here to tell y'all that his, 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 his strength 
was undergirded by his gentleness. But I also came by here to tell you that he, along with Aline, had become surrogate parents to an innumerable amount of children. And I don't mean children, I mean children. Yeah, like, like Brendan and Charles and Melanie and Eddie and Nadine and countless others, even including myself. We all became their children. But to Adrian, he was her father. To Al Jr., he was his dad. But to Eileen, for almost, for more than 67 years, I assume they had a courtship before they got married. For more than 67 years, he was Eileen's baby. And always will be. Yeah, but the word says that Jacob said, when he had made an end of commanding all of his sons, when he felt death infringing itself upon him, Jacob said, I want to have a family meeting. I'm not talking about a family reunion. We're going to have a family meeting. I- I'm going to tell you what your future looks like. But then I'm going to tell you what I want for myself. When death infringes itself upon me and when I close my eyes, I, I want you to take me to the cave that my grandfather bought. And bear, don't leave me in Egypt, but bury me with my family. That, that's what I want. And then the word says that when he had made an end of all of his commandments of his sons, that he gathered up his feet into the bed and gave up his ghost. I wish I had somebody walk with me. And I came by here to tell you as long as we live, there's going to always be something that pursues us. Alan Thomas lived a wonderful life. Alan Thomas had influence and impact. But even Alan Thomas couldn't uh, dodge the things in this life that can take you out of here. He had a season of sickness. But just like Jacob, he was wise with his time. And I know about three and a half weeks ago, I was summoned to come and sit down and talk to him. And I know that Brendan had conversation with him. I know that Charles and Melanie had conversation with him. I know that Eddie and Nadine had conversation with him. I know that Al and Adrian had had conversation. I know his grandchildren had had conversation with him. But on June the 13th, uh, when he had made uh, an end of all of his sharings with his family and his loved ones, he gathered up his feet into the bed. And gave up his ghost to be gathered with his people. I wish I could stop there. But I got to tell you something, Robert. As we were surrogate children and our surrogate children to Alan and Eileen, they were surrogate children to a lady by the name of Gertrude Hamilton. And every, every, every Christmas, they would take her perfume. And Alan took great pride in giving to her this big old tin of cookies. And, and I came by here to tell you, she loved them cookies. She loved them cookies. And, and when we moved her to, uh, 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 to outside of Philadelphia to Plymouth meeting with her daughter, We'd go up periodically to see mom and check on her. And she'd always ask, how's Alan and Eileen? I said, well, 
The last time we talked about it, I said, hey, I've got some health challenges, Mom, but, but he's hanging in there. She said, well, you know what? I miss them cookies. Yeah, th- this pandemic is getting on my last nerve because I hadn't been able to get my cookies for Christmas. She didn't say anything about the perfume. She was talking about those cookies. Well, I stopped by here to tell y'all that on June the 13th, Gertrude Hamilton would have been 106 years old. Yeah, and this Christmas when I was up there, she was talking about them cookies. Well, I stopped by to tell you on June the 13th, Alan lifted up his feet into the bed, gave up his ghost, grabbed a tin of cookies, and went on to heaven and sitting down with Gertrude right now, and she's talking his ears off, eating cookies, drinking milk, and looking forward to the day. When they will be joined again with all of us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Who's going to come play start spreading the news? Amen. Let's give God praise for this wonderful eulogy by our pastor emeritus, Dr. Gregory Keith Moss. Um, And we hope and pray that uh, this word will hold you and encourage you. I know I shouldn't, but I want some cookies. Yeah, I can picture picture those cookies right now. We're going to ask that the um, funeral home directors will come. Those that will be serving as pallbearers, uh, if you will come and gather to my right. Reverend Charles Winter, come on up and process out with us. Everyone, with the exception of the family, please stand. I believe we also need some persons to serve as uh, flower bearers. If we can get them to come, um, that would be greatly appreciated. is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked even my enemies and my foes came upon me they stumbled and they fell though a host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war should rise against me in this will I be confident one thing that I desire the Lord that I will seek after 
I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me, and the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set my foot upon a rock. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Thomas said, how do we know where you're going, and who shall show us the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, boy, or girl can come to the Father. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I wanna be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray And step around the heart of it New York, New York I wanna wake up in a city that doesn't sleep To find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap My little town blues are melting away I'll make a brand new start of it in old New York if I can make it there I'll make it anywhere it's up to you New York New York Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I wanna be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray And step around the heart of it New York, New York I wanna wake up in a city that doesn't sleep To find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap Cream of the crop Top of the heap My little town blues Are melting away 
I want a brand new start of it in old New York. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. Come on, come through New 